Hello again. Welcome to Knowing God with Heart and Mind. This is that virtual church classroom podcast presented each week by Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana, and hosted by me, Pastor Dan, and my daughter, Bethany. Each week we study the Bible together with the particular goal of knowing God's heart and mind with our hearts and minds. And we hope that through this virtual Bible study, you'll feel more connected with the Lord and hopefully more connected with the local church. If you're not part of Jasper, uh, Shiloh United Methodist Church, you uh, hopefully are a part of some church somewhere. We really earnestly desire that everybody who listens to this would also be a part of a fellowship of believers, a community of believers, and that this would not be the only thing that you do in order to engage with other believers. So this just is really important to us. That's why we say it week in and week out. But for now, before we study, let us serve each other and serve God through worship and prayer. Our psalm reading today is Psalm 13, a psalm of David for the director of music. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Psalm 13. feeling as the psalmist did in these uh, passages we just read. We wonder, how long, really? It feels like we are abandoned sometimes, Lord. It's not that we don't think you are there. I believe that I can speak for all listening and praying with me now to say that we've never doubted your presence or your love, but sometimes we just wonder why you don't do anything or at least nothing we can see you know we we love you we trust you we know that in the long run the greater good is your goal and your your prerogative and yet when we ask you sometimes in our depths of despair to just give us a sign just to give us relief it seems at those times that we're particularly lonely now lord We're sorry for this. We're sorry for feeling this way. We know better. We know that you're probably more involved in our lives at moments like that than we ever give you credit for. And we're sorry. But help us, Lord, to know you better, to trust you more, to have greater faith in you, to rely on you even in the silence, and to trust that you are silently watching, standing nearby, perhaps 
pushing away danger as it nears us, perhaps guarding our journey more than we know, and perhaps it is your love that keeps you silent. So help us to be patient with you and forgiving of you. Not that you need our patience and forgiveness, but we need to be patient and forgiving. And we love you, Lord. We pray this and all the unspoken things that have brought us together in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I have trusted in your mercy And I will rejoice when you rescue me For I have trusted in your unfailing love Together we say, Amen. Well, this week we begin to move away from the letters to the churches and into the throne room of God. Or to be more specific, the command central for all of creation and everything inside and outside of space and time this is like norad a thousand times more this is god's control room it's it's the situation room of god it's the throne room of the most amazing being that exists it's just it's kind of bizarre and exciting and interesting and we're going to read some wild stuff bethany's here and she's ready to go too so are you ready ready <laughs> i thought you might even say if i said i almost said it. <laughs> ready rudolph ready santa all right i almost we. did that's a little inside joke with <laughs> bethany and me she's she and i've been saying that since she was a little girl <laughs> ready rudolph ready santa all right so there's uh it's a totally different uh, uh situation now so you don't get the luxury of starting with a historical background it felt weird not doing my homework this uh-huh time. well you know you still have homework to do but yes i'll tell you what i think we're going to do today though we're going to open by uh reading the entire fourth chapter and uh listeners are not going to be at all surprised especially if they've been in my bible studies on the ground and in other situations we'll read the whole chapter just to kind of set the situation but today i doubt we'll get past verse one or two because because we've got a lot of fascinating things to unpack just to get started so probably the best way to begin is to read the chapter i think it's your turn to read now so you want to give us chapter four of revelation all right so i'm reading from niv just for reference chapter four after this i looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice i had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here and i will show you what must must take place after this at once i was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, and the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory 
honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. All right. So that's the entire chapter, chapter 4 of Revelation. And the thing that I want to uh, do first is just go back to the first verse in the passage that says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Now, mine has an exclamation point with that line. Uh, he's, He's saying... After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open <laughs> in heaven. Like, like, how is that even possible? I imagine it like the wardrobe. Yeah. Like Chronicles in, of Narnia, Chronicles like of when Narnia. the wardrobe opens and there's just snow. Well, you, you know what I've been saying for years. I just picture Doctor Who's mm-hmm. box that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Yeah. It's... It's not really a box. It's a doorway to another dimension. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, stepping outside of the present reality and into another reality. And and all of that is to say that once again, you know, we've been dealing with the church letters for so long. We kind of have to go back to the first chapter to remember that what has happened is that John is sitting there on his. Uh, perch wherever he was on uh, the island of Patmos and a portal from heaven has opened up or to be more realistic a specific passageway that did not appear at one point is now visible and it's a it's an opening in the space in John's vicinity Mm -hmm. and this is a really difficult thing to describe although it's fairly simple for uh computer-generated effects in the in the uh, modern media they can create this this visual uh, that is hard to describe but it means that right in this space around you where everything is dimensional and familiar there is in the very air in front of you say two or three feet in front of you suddenly an opening Mm -hmm. or, or or a you know you know like those little dots you see in your eyes sometimes or like when you stare at the sun for a Mm -hmm. second and then when you look away you see everything in front of you but there's also this sort of black spot there in front of you that's actually being created by your eye Mm -hmm. It, it so this is sort of what we're talking about is we're talking about a bright white light from the place where god is and so you know, humans have a, a very three-dimensional existence, but there are actually more dimensions than the three that we know. And so we're really talking about, behold, a doorway into another dimension. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it's literally uh, the stuff of the Twilight Zone. It starts, you know, remember the old Twilight Zone show? Uh, you know, he always introduces it by saying, you're going to enter into a doorway, into another dimension, and he's got a door there that opens and mm-hmm. it sort of gives you... So it's literally what we're talking about here. You know, John has just received a visitation from Christ himself, who has stepped out of time, or in, into time and space from his throne room outside of time and space. And he's told John some things and then he has uh, you know said now John come with me mm-hmm. and he's taking him back through the door you know um, presumably the door closed for a few minutes while Jesus dictated the letters I don't know I mean because because he saw this sort of open door because in the first chapter it's almost like he he, I, he sees the opening, but Jesus is standing in it and filling yeah. up the space. Yeah, Jesus is he in the door. He doesn't really see the door because he's like, what, who's this guy? Yeah, yeah. This really incredible looking guy who's like glowing and stuff. Yeah. So. And then, you know, and then he realizes, hey, Jesus is here. So then they get to work on these letters. Yeah. Um, which probably didn't take them as long to dictate <laughs> as it took you and me to go well. through them one week at a time. But... So so the first thing in this verse that I want to look at is, we haven't even read the whole verse yet, but, but he says, after this, I looked. So after what? 
that's the first thing I want to uh, examine for a second. After what? Well, so we have to go back and we look at uh, we look at chapter one, verse nineteen, where Jesus says, "Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later." And then he explains the mystery of the seven stars, and he talks about the angels of the seven churches. And then he goes in chapter 2, Jesus says, and I've got some things that I want you to say to the various Mm -hmm. churches. And and so I guess what John is saying, and I don't mean to, to belabor this, but I just want clarity. It's been weeks since we visited chapter one. So what I want to say is, is that before he started dictating letters to seven churches, Jesus said, okay, it's really me. And what you are about to experience, John, is uh, a lesson in what is now, what will take place later. And I want you to tell everybody what you've seen and what I'm going to share with you. Mm -hmm. And it begins with the letters to the churches, but it's not done yet because Jesus said in verse 19 of chapter 1, I want you to write down what you've seen, and I want you to write down what is now mm-hmm. and what is to be or what is to take place. So so when he says after this, he's basically saying, I believe, he's saying, after I finished writing the letters to the churches, Jesus then takes me through this doorway, mm-hmm. and he says... Uh, at the and uh, sorry, I just want to go back to the verse. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet. In other words, that first voice he heard, which was actually a voice from inside mm-hmm. or outside. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you want to say that, but the it, the first time he heard that voice, it was when the door opened the first time, and now he's the door's open and he's hearing the voice again, and it's a voice from God's throne room. Mm-hmm. And apparently, everything's a lot louder there. <laughs> Do you know what I was thinking of when I read it the first time? <laughs> I was thinking of the, the scene in Scrooge when he walks into the dining room. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking, like, because, you know, like, he's, I'm talking about the ghost of Christmas mm-hmm. present. Yeah. And he walks in and he's larger than life and he's like, come here! Yeah. <laughs> That's what, it, when I read yeah. that. My, just, my favorite, my favorite expression favorite, is yes. because the ghost says, Come here, you weird, weird little man. man. You know, I mean, I just, I love but that. But I just, yeah. I was hearing it in the Ghost of Christmas Presence voice, because, like, everything he t- says is booming. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's that's probably a really good image to keep in mind, because he thinks of him as a giant, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it's like all the good things are bigger than life, you know. Yeah. But then he says, I heard this voice speaking like a trumpet, which means it was really loud. And he says, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's another thing we got to figure out. <laughs> after what? What must take place after this? Uh, he says, come up here. I want to show you what must take place after this. And I'm, I'm torn. It's like, okay, after what? what? What's the this that he's referring to? Um you know, and then of course the passage, verse two, it says that once I was in the spirit and beheld, and behold, a throne stood up in heaven. So, so basically, and and when he says spirit in in the most modern, uh, that is to say, the most recent uh, and most thorough translation translations, they they use the word spirit with a capital S. In other words, it doesn't mean that that John was having a vision. It doesn't mean that he was sort of spiritual himself but rather he was accompanied by the spirit which i hate to say it but since you already introduced the idea is just like the ghosts of christmas past present and future mm-hmm. he's accompanied by the spirit and and that's what it means here according to the translations that we've looked at that that he's taken up by the spirit in other words he sees this doorway into god's throne room he probably stands there looking at it and then this hand from within the throne room reaches out and takes his and says come on i'm going to show you some things come with me and he's led out of his space and time 
into the timeless eternity of God's throne room. And the explanation is, is I want you to see what must take place. I want to make sure I read this right. After this. What must take place after this. So. After what? Well, I have a couple of ideas. All right. One is maybe it just is like really super simple and it's just this is what's coming next but I also think John just walked through a portal to another dimension and maybe Jesus or the voice is saying come on in check things out and then I'm going to tell you what comes next Right? because I'm just going to throw out a guess and say that would be a little overwhelming Yes. Um, so maybe he needs to give him a minute to just be there um that's my that's my theory so here's my theory and and i think you'll go with me on this not at the expense of yours but but all right friends who who haven't known me but just for a few months this is gonna be a little hard to swallow but you got to go with me on this i like watching doctor who Mm -hmm. i introduced bethany to doctor who years ago and then they rebooted it with this you know whole new genre it's still the same thing but they they kind of brought it back to life in a new way in a big way and now it's an international hit but but anyway i i used to watch it when i was a kid i mean this is a show that's been on over 50 years yeah and um but but here's here's what i think is going on so john is he's he's sitting uh on his island uh, in patmos uh say somewhere in the vicinity of 90 or somewhere between 70 and 90 uh ad mm-hmm. uh, or we're supposed to say common era now because that's more politically correct than you know ad dominium because we're trying to yeah anyway so you know the big shot institutions don't want to say anything that sounds remotely religious so now we're supposed to say before common era and after the common era instead of bc before christ and ad ad dominium under his domain (laughs) well i'm going with the old way i digress so here's here's john it's it's uh it's ought, ought 70 let's just say maybe a little later and Jesus says, come here into my time machine. Or to put it more specifically, come out of time mm-hmm. and step into a place where your time and your calendar and your sense of time and things doesn't exist. So he's, he's basically stepping out of a fluid, moving thing we linear call time. Yeah, a linear progression we call time. And he's, he's stepping off onto the shore, and it's going to keep going, mm-hmm. right? So he's stepping out of time and into a place of timelessness. And Jesus says, maybe perhaps gesturing back through the door to Patmos uh, uh, 70, and says, now we're going to show you what comes after this. All right, fair. fair. After... Uh, uh, 70 what comes down the road here and so he's taking you on a ride in doctor who's box to a place in the future and you know the really cool idea about the time traveler as doctor who is and and i'm really not trying to make a case for doctor who as much as i'm trying to say that that show is probably some of the best science fiction ever because of its highly probable realities that it's not using made-up science it's using real science just making some of the things that are presently impossible possible Mm -hmm. which is what good science fiction does Mm -hmm. so but it gives me a vehicle literally and figuratively for explaining what I think is going on with John here. I think John is stepping through the portal into a place of timelessness and simply by being there, all Jesus has to do is say, now I want to show you what's going to happen in in, uh, 2018. And so John goes in, looks around the throne room for a while, and then Jesus says, now come over here, I want to show you something. And he opens up the door again. 
And without stepping into 2018, he's looking at 2018 as it's happening Mm -hmm. because God can do that. And so, you know, we have all these theories like butterfly effect and stuff like what happens if you go back in time. Which is Ray Bradbury, by the way. Yeah. But, you know, so the whole idea is that, but what if you could witness time without affecting it? What if you could witness the past, the present, or the future without affecting it? Mm -hmm. Well, that's what God can do, or God can affect it. God can do either one. And that's why we pray. Because, and that's in our, in our psalm reading for today, we were talking, and in my prayer today, I was saying in the prayer on this recording, well, God, sometimes it just feels like you're not doing anything. But that's, that's partly, that's mainly our problem, really. It's partly due to the fact that we are looking at our linear existence, and we're waiting for this slow boat we're on to get wherever we're going. Mm-hmm. And yet God is looking at it from a timeless point Mm -hmm. where God can see not only what we are dealing with in this present reality at this very moment, but God can also see the past in the same frame. Yeah. Which is why I still believe to this day that uh, one of my long-held convictions is that when God said, I am, to Moses... God's saying it right now. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, it's not as though he says, I am to Moses, and that happened 4,000 years ago. He's saying, I am to Moses from inside his place in time and space. Because I am is present. Yeah, you know, because I am is just I am. That's also why I believe that Moses thought he saw a bush that was burning, but what he actually saw was a portal to... Really bright light. Yeah, he saw a portal open from the present reality to God's throne room, basically. And that light was so bright that what it looked like to him was the bush that was on the other side of the little window looked like it was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. Well, that's because it wasn't being burned. So he finally... Jesus looked like he was burning in chapter 1. Yeah, so he goes to investigate the burning bush only to find that what he's really looking at is a hole in space and time that reveals God's throne room, which is why God says, if you come any closer, you better take off your shoes because you'll be on holy ground. He's saying, he's like, man, you know, you're just two (laughs) steps away from inside the throne room and outside of time and space. Yeah. And I happen to believe that at the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is speaking to Moses and Elijah, I believe that at that instant, when the disciples witnessed Jesus in the presence of Moses and Elijah, Moses is at the burning bush and Elijah is on the mount. They're all in the same place at the same time because Peter and James and John are witnessing timelessness. Mm -hmm. And they're they're watching through a window into a place where time doesn't exist. Mm Mm-hmm. That's just super cool, and yes. I, I can get so stoked talking about that. But That I, probably explains Moses' holy sunburn, too. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And I fear that when I'm talking with people about this and they're hearing it for the first time, they're kind of going, man, that is too way out there. I'm, I'm having well, trouble. Well, it is way out there, but so is a lot of things in the Bible. But it makes I sense think, if you yeah. think about it. It makes it a whole lot e- it Frankly, I find that easier to believe than fairy tales. Well, I'm all for marrying biblical and scientific because they belong together well yeah god created it. right god created science science is god so i think that the more we can put them back together the better and i think that that's what this is it's Mm -hmm. it's talking about time and dimensions and space and all things that we know exist just like we know the bible exists and is true so yeah i think it is weird and overwhelming when you first hear it but i think the more you think about it the more it's like yeah okay yeah, yeah kind so of, all right. I want to ask our friends to just bear with us. You and I have had this conversation many yes. times, so we're kind of comfortable with it. Yeah. But if this is a new thing for you, just be patient and think about it for a second. And it's okay if you don't agree with us. Because this really isn't about Doctor Who and science fiction. What it is about is the fact that God is timeless. Mm-hmm. God says so. God says, I am. Mm-hmm. And that if I'm going to understand what John saw... And what Moses saw, and what Elisha saw, and what James and John and Peter saw when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. If I'm going to understand what they saw, if I'm going to understand what Jesus 
did when he rose from the dead if i'm going to understand where he went after he ascended Mm -hmm. where he is now if i'm going to understand all of that i've got to marry the science and the mystery of scripture and what i find is that the god who created it all didn't just slap it together accidentally god is the great majestic genius as i like to call him who created everything and did so with a uh uh, unparalleled in all of anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't even put a limit on it, or you'd be somehow limiting God. No other being in all of anything that is known or can be known mm-hmm. has the capacity that God has for stitching it all together. And and that's why we can joke. We were watching TV the other day that God must have been, you know, uh, <laughs> having a having a free day when he did our. Uh, 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 Australia, Australia. <laughs> you know, because because apparently, you know, the platypus is an example of a great majestic genius who's just run out of of all the parts to make something that looks, you know, reasonable, and so he comes up with the platypus. I and, and you know, you joke about that, but there's just it it really, in a way, validates God as surely as anything, because because the platypus is this strange creature that is a mixture of all the things that God has created in the animal world and it's got a little bit of all of it you yep. know venom with you know <laughs> it's just incredible so <laughs> yeah yeah so 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 the first verse then in chapter four is a picture of of heaven heaven's door heaven's front door being opened up and john being escorted by the lord himself into the throne room of god and john is overwhelmed by this and jesus says now look your mission as you recall is to write down everything you've seen Mm -hmm. everything that is and everything that will be and you have written the letters which is in effect what is this is the state of things right now and now that you've done that i want to show you what comes next meaning we're going to leave the seven churches that really existed in aught seventy ish. We're going to leave Patmos. We're going to leave all that for a moment. We're going to step outside of time and space, and we're going to go into the throne room of God. And you're going to see not only where God dwells and what things are like in the realm of God, but you're also going to get a few looks out the window at what's going on on Earth throughout the history of the Earth, so that you and those who will benefit from what you write because remember revelation is the book that says read me i'm special to Mm -hmm. quote chuck missler (laughs) and the 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 now late chuck missler who died just a couple of weeks ago but but uh he always said you know revelation's the book that has the audacity to say read me i'm special but it really says that if you read this you'll be blessed if you hear it you'll be blessed so john is charged with creating something that will bless people who hear it and read it and what is he going to create he's going to create a picture of everything that is and and will be so that we won't be frightened about the things that will come Mm -hmm. that rather we will recognize them as they come and know that god is with us so so that's that's verse one in a nutshell so uh when we get to uh uh, verse two he steps in i don't know do you have anything you want to add i i don't mean to dominate here but no i don't think so so he says okay whoa a doorway and what do i see uh as i'm stepping into heaven with there's someone seated on the throne and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper jasper made it into the bible i know but thankfully we're not talking about jasper indiana he did not look like jasper he did not look like jasper indiana in fact i did a little homework today before we started recording jasper is uh, a clear stone it's like diamond but it's clearer Mm. and it's actually a word that can be traced back to origins in uh, greek and hebrew that essentially mean like the eye Hmm. so jasper is like a clear eye so the one sitting in the throne is a clear eye. It's like, you know, a, a incredibly crystal clear uh, vision, mm-hmm. having crystal clear vision, you know. Um, it, it kind of connotes a, a, a sort of purity. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, so that's what Jasper means in this case. But listen, all you folks from Jasper, Indiana, you can tell everybody that Jasper's special because they've got one in heaven. And, and there's people down here that say Jasper is a little piece of heaven, but this is spelled with a small j, just so you know. And carnelian, which is another kind of gem. And then he says, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Well, the word for rainbow in this case goes back to a word that would better describe a, a halo or an aura. So it's not like a rainbow um, in the sense of, you know, the multicolored pretty thing we see after it rains, you know. Uh, we're really talking about kind of an aura. So God's throne glows. Has a green aura. Yeah, apparently. has a green aura. So... And the interesting thing is, is that uh, what John is using for terminology here is based on his knowledge of his world as he understood it. Mm -hmm. And he's a very intelligent guy. Mm -hmm. And I've always said, you know, the only thing that separates us from the people of history and in the Bible in particular is technology. You know, mm -hmm. we have more ways of describing things now, but what he's describing he's doing with the same intellectual capacity that we have just less knowledge about certain things so he's using uh the mineralogy of the time yeah. he, he's using jewels and gems to describe colors well we've talked before, i mean i'm jumping ahead a little in the book but we've talked before when we've talked about revelation that like if john saw a plane crashing to the ground or something right he wouldn't have context to describe it as a plane because he'd never seen anything like that right. before. So, yeah. yeah, he, I mean, he's writing for his contemporary audience. Well, and, and not just for them, but from his own point of view, right. from, from his own ability to describe. Um, you know, he, he's describing uh, the effects as he would have seen them reproduced on Earth. In other words, if if I use the description of Doctor Who's box to describe an opening in a doorway of heaven, I'm using a very contemporary phrase. Mm -hmm. But to someone way before Doctor Who or way up in the future, they might listen to this podcast someday in the future. Or as this broadcast, like all the zillions of others, make their way out into space, you know, somebody could hear this and say, what is he talking about? Mm -hmm. I have no idea what that means. But maybe what he's describing is, and then they find some relevant thing in their culture mm -hmm. and their knowledge that they can say, oh, what he's saying is, is that the doorway to heaven is like. So, so we all do it. Yeah. You know, and, and one reason that good pastors and Bible teachers should never go out of work is because every generation needs a new interpretation. Right. It doesn't mean a new Bible or a new word, just a new way to experience it, mm -hmm. you know. I have some old books in my library that I keep because they're old, and what I find is is that apart from uh, ignorance of certain archaeological discoveries, everything that's in them is as true today as it was when they wrote them. It's just that the language and the interpretation is dated. So if I read John Wesley's sermon on the Holy Spirit or John Wesley's instructions for the church, I'm going to hear what a guy who lived in the late 1700s said about how to do church and how the Holy Spirit works and everything. Mm -hmm. and it's really fascinating to listen to him. Uh, there's a couple of places where John Wesley writes about some of the recent discoveries that Mr. Franklin has made <gasps> regarding electricity. Mr. Franklin. You know, I love Mr. Speaking Franklin. Benjamin Franklin. Speaking of Benjamin Franklin. And yet, he's very open to the reality that his time limits his ability to interpret some of this stuff and he says so mm -hmm. but he's a super smart guy so he's saying i will allow for the fact that i'm telling this and interpreting this through the lens of my time in in mm -hmm. in, in the history we're doing the same thing we're yeah. telling it through the limitations of our time in history john is telling it through the limitations in his time in history so what we might describe as you know, and I forgive me, friends, if this is a poor example, but we might try to describe the throne room of God as being like a disco dance floor in the 70s or something, you know, because we can picture that, at least some of us who are old, um, you know, ha, 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 staying alive. I've staying seen alive. Saturday Night Fever. So, anyway, the. the <laughs> 
but then you know each generation has a new way to interpret but it's still the same picture mm -hmm. and so john says yeah the colors were like these emeralds because he's seen in his time how light on emeralds and pass through emeralds create certain effects and so he says that's what it looks like so mm -hmm. i i may be overdoing it but but it's this is a really vital groundwork for the continuation of our study in this book understanding that everything john is saying he's saying as accurately as he knows how but that doesn't mean that it's all that mysterious it just means that we it's have just to, based on his frame of reference right exactly so then he says in uh, uh verse four around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Well, boy, there's a lot to figure out there. Who are the 24 I elders? I think we should just talk about the 24 elders for a little bit. Yeah, I think that will, that will be a good idea for starters. <laughs> so we have 24 thrones. Who are the 24 elders? That's the question. Do you know? No. You don't know? Well, I mean, we've talked about you many have different ideas. things before. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I know for a fact who they are, because that would be ridiculous. Well... So, here's where one of my favorite Bible scholars goes with that. Uh, and, and a real Bible scholar is somebody who uses the Bible to interpret the Bible. And so, he refers to 1 Chronicles 24, where David sets up... Remember, this is the first real kingdom on earth that they've had. This is kingdom. Like, he's the king. Yes. Saul kind of screwed up. He didn't turn out to be so great. So one thing he didn't do that David did do that secured his fame throughout all of time. I mean, you know, the Bible promises that Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David. I think David was an important guy. Yes. Where Saul kind of got, you know, he blew it. And what David did that no one else had done up to that point is he established a sort of structure around the 12 tribes mm -hmm. of Israel. And in First Chronicles 24, uh, he basically is establishing this perfect order. And in order to make sense of that, you have to go back to Exodus and you have to look at, not Exodus really, but Numbers, how the camps were set up as they traveled the wilderness for the 40 years everybody had a certain place that they camped wherever the first thing that got planted was the tabernacle mm -hmm. so when they moved to a new location the tabernacle was set up and then each of the tribes encamped in a certain order around the tabernacle mm -hmm. so and and numbers goes i'm not going to go back to that right now but numbers goes into great lengths to explain how the levites camped in a certain mm -hmm. way the tribe of Reuben camped in a certain way, and, and it was if they followed the rules, then there was no way that one could camp in another spot. Mm -hmm. And so there was an order to things. And so David takes that same order from their encampment days and establishes a, a sort of tribal leadership structure that starts with the heads of the tribes and then the, the sort of seconds of the tribes, it, uh, the the hands or the right you know the the, the next person in line um, and so he creates this order and so the idea is that this is a complete mm -hmm. group that 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 it represents the unified uh, complete package of God's people and the New Testament interpretation would suggest that it's 24 elders who represent the Old Testament tribes and 12 and then 12 persons well i was going who to represent I the was new testament going to say that that was one of my f top theories right would be you know there are two places in the bible where there are specifically 12 people mentioned uh-huh so on one side of god's throne is the old testament by a gang all 24 of them or 12 of them i mean 
And on the other side of his throne is the New Testament gang. Mm -hmm. All 12 of Mm -hmm. them. Now you're with me. Well, I was... Assuming we're right. Yeah, because I'm not going to assume I'm right, because I've heard other people theorize that it's like some of the famous names of the Bible. Yeah, and and yet, again, Scripture scripture tends to interpret itself pretty thoroughly, so... Like, you know, uh, Scripture assures us that those are not tribulation believers because they're described as uh, in a different place. Mm-hmm. Scripture tells us they're not angels because mm-hmm. they're described in a different way. Uh, it does not entirely describe the nation of Israel because there would only be 12. Now, can I throw a wrench in, though? Sure. Because if the New Testament 12 are the apostles... Right? Like, Uh John is one of them. So, does he see himself? I don't know. I mean, I guess it's not a wrench, it's more a question. Like, does he see himself hanging out there and he just doesn't recognize himself? Because you'd think he'd be like, I was sitting there and that was weird. He could have walked up to that elder (laughs) and said, you look familiar. You look really, really familiar. Do I know you? Oh, yes, you do. Well, I don't know. I think we're going to get a better understanding of that as we go further. Um, you know, it's funny. No matter how well we prepare, there's always something that we we realize. And this is the same way in, in a live Bible study where we have 25 people sitting around the table. Sooner or later, somebody's going to ask a question we didn't prepare for. <laughs> this but, is why you recruited me, I think. You know, and that's the beauty of this. And that, you know, But uh, what's really interesting is... Um, that there are these 24 elders have some very distinguishing characteristics first of all they're sitting on thrones Mm -hmm. thrones are only mentioned uh they're mentioned throughout the bible but the the most common place that they're mentioned is in the book of revelation um there's uh let's see there are the the 12 tribes and then there are the 12 apostles and then there are there's the throne of david you know, Jesus right now is sitting on his father's throne. He's not sitting on his own throne. His throne hasn't been established yet. Mm-hmm. He will sit on David's throne. David's throne didn't even exist at the time Jesus walked on earth. Mm-hmm. You know, that was gone. And yeah. and so we're talking about an earthly throne that has not yet happened. So right now, Jesus is sitting on God's throne. Um, or, you know, he is... Um, so we're talking about thrones in the sense that a throne represents a seat of authority Mm -hmm. right that the absolute authority of the uh person sitting in the throne is the purpose of the throne it's why you would never uh accidentally sit on somebody's throne you know if it were possible that i could go over to uh to to england and and accidentally sit on the queen's throne that would be really inappropriate because the throne itself represents a certain unique authority Mm -hmm. i take the same approach to the pulpit Uh, i don't like using the pulpit without thinking that it comes with a certain authority assigned to it and also a great responsibility uh they're wearing crowns which is Mm -hmm. another sign of authority but also uh, a sign of majesty Mm Uh, and majesty meaning that they have a unique character and a unique uh, quality. They're special. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also wearing white. They're wearing white. And white in Bible always means purity. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is another way that they are distinguished. You know, an interesting thing about this pic- this passage is that it tells us something about heaven. Uh, heaven is real. Yeah. I mean, the, the place where God is is real. We're not talking about a, uh, a, a sort of fantasy land or a dream world. We're talking about a real tactile place yeah. um, that, that is really pretty remarkable when you think about it. Um, that, that when we die, there's a place we're going that is going to be as real as where we are. In fact, science suggests that it's going to be more real than where we are that we're limited in what we can perceive and experience and that the fact is is that in heaven there will be no limitations and so uh, sometimes when the scriptures describe the holy spirit opening their eyes you kind of wonder if that doesn't mean that for a little while anyway 
they're seeing things as they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's places all over the Old and New Testament where people see things that can't normally be seen because the, the, the Lord has enabled them to see it. And, uh, you know, and then there's the resurrected Jesus who just says, uh, coming to see you tonight, and it doesn't matter if the door is locked, I'll be there. You know, yeah, and and yet as real and tactile and touchable and feel uh, full of you know all the same presence that they had always known with him, uh, and yet somehow more. And I think heaven could be described as everything we already understand, but more. Mm-hmm. So recognizable, but more, way more. Well, and that's this is another case of science proving the Bible right because scientists are right now scientists are all, are constantly discovering new senses that yeah. they can't really pinpoint or do anything with, but they're learning about them. And like you said, well, and like I I say Jesus has superpowers, and I say that tongue in cheek, but what are superpowers if not senses? We haven't really learned anything about yeah. It yet. Yeah. So. Well, you remember that movie. Um, I don't know. Did you ever see the one, um, what was it called? John Travolta was in it, um, and uh, he he had something happen to his brain, and for a while he had, like, superpowers. He he had super abilities. His, his brain, I can't think what the name of the movie was, but he could actually, you know, kind of manipulate matter. I mean, he got angry once, and, and a mirror broke. Uh, he, he, uh, you know, Robert Duvall was in it. Um, Kira Sedgwick was in it. Um, I think it was made in the nineties and, uh, I cannot think of phenomenon. I think it was called. I don't think I've seen that. It's, you would like it. And, and, you know, this was a human being who, because his brain had been uniquely Mm -hmm. affected by something that, you know, people were calling it spooky, supernatural stuff, but they were pretty certain that what was going on was that his brain was basically uh, injured in a certain way or or that something fired in his brain that doesn't fire in most mm-hmm. people's brains. And when it did, it started a rapid process that would kill him. But in the short time he had left, he could read hundreds and hundreds of books at a time, read them, memorize them. He could write. He was solving problems that had been troubling humanity mm-hmm. for you know. He was just his his capacity yeah. was exponentially enhanced. Yeah, and, and it's like you know what a neat concept. You know, it's all there. Yeah, it's just that we've got the throttle has been has been uh, uh, governed. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I drove a school bus back in the early 1980s and i drove a school bus that the only gasoline engine school bus in the fleet the rest of them had diesel engines i drove the one with a gasoline engine and that dude would get up and go that's why they put a governor on it meaning that if you tried to go over about 55 mile an hour you could feel that thing just bogging down and not wanting to go any faster and uh, the irony is that they gave the youngest driver in the fleet the fastest bus in the fleet but it had a governor on the engine so that dude, I could have really sailed when that was empty because the, the bus weighed, you know, quite a lot when it was full of kids, but it was just a big empty farm truck when it was mm-hmm. empty, you know, and I could just boogie down them Oklahoma straight roads for five, ten straight miles, not even a bend in the road, nothing on the horizon but road and, and prairie, and I could have just flat hauled it, except there was a governor on the engine, and it didn't matter if I mashed that pedal to the floor, it was only going to go so fast. And in a way, that's what we're like. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just limited. We're throttled back. And uh, so, yeah, that's a neat concept. Well, I'm looking at the clock, and we probably need to go ahead and wrap for this week. I warned everybody that we weren't going to get far, but this is actually how this whole thing's going to go from here on out. Uh, you, yeah. you can't really unpack this without taking your time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I've heard of Bible study groups and churches spending three or four years on Revelation, <laughs> you know, just doing it once a week and skipping holidays and all that. So we're, we're probably in for something shorter, but not a lot shorter, you know. Yeah. But uh, I want to thank the Sunday school class that decided to take this up with us. I'm really honored that you would use our 
uh, our conversation mm -hmm. about the book of Revelation as part of your study together. Yeah. Uh, when we're walking past your classroom, yell at us. <laughs> we'll stop in. Get Bethany first. She's smarter than I am. Oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, this has been really exciting and fun, and uh, I think but we probably ought to just go ahead and knock off there. You got any other thoughts that you want to share right now? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, it's it's different now that we're not doing the letters. It's not, now we're getting into to you know like some nitty gritty here. Mm -hmm. um, I would say to to ourselves and to everybody else, read up on the twenty four elders. Uh, the next thing that comes along when we pick it up next week is um, we're going to read uh, Four Living Creatures, where we left off about the flashes of lightning, mm -hmm. rumblings, peals of thunder. Actually, I think that's actually going outside, going on outside our house right this moment. Seven torches of fire. Yeah. What are those? Well, we Which are the seven spirits of God? It says. Mm -hmm. But, but uh, does God have seven spirits? Is God? Well, we talked about the seven spirits back in chapter uh -huh. one, sir. So we got to come back to that. Otherwise, it sounds like God is seven times schizophrenic or something. But no, that's not really what this means. But we need to come back to that because we, because it's been a long way since then. And the other thing is, is people pick this up. There's a reason I do the intro the same way, <laughs> week in and week out. Because there's people that pick this up for the first time, and they don't go back to the beginning right away. They start with where we are. Mm -hmm. So next week, we'll talk about those seven spirits again. And then we'll talk about that sea of glass mm -hmm. that is God's floor. Um, you know, I, I'm guessing Heaven's Throne Room is pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, there's probably a guy that rides, a, there's probably an angel that rides something like a heavenly Zamboni that just goes back and forth across guys god's uh, throne room keeping it shiny and pretty and <laughs> sure okay that was a bit of a stretch but you know i don't think god needs floors that's what i'll say <laughs> could be could <laughs> could be and uh so then and then it gets really interesting uh the four, four living, living creatures, creatures and all that so you're really kind of digging on that so i think it's very interesting so there's where we are folks hope you're having a great time with this uh, please make comments on the Facebook group. We really enjoy hearing from you, and, and you know your compliments are appreciated, and uh, your your comments uh, are fun. But you know, if you have questions or if you want to contribute something that we can include in the dialogue, we'd love that. Mm -hmm. That that makes and don't ever feel like your questions are stupid because you've been listening to me. <laughs> if, if you can put up with some of our stuff, like you know God's Zamboni machine, you know, <laughs> if, if you can put up with us talking like that, then then you shouldn't feel ashamed to ask a question or no, too, and no know. question is too out there because. Yeah. I ask lots of really out there questions. It's more fun that way. Well, it's what we call critical thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, critical thinking is, you know, not unique to Wesleyan Christians or to to Methodists of the Wesleyan tradition. And yet what I've always been attracted to John Wesley for is that he invites a holiness of heart and mind mm -hmm. to say that your critical thinking is as much a part of your sanctification as your spiritual growth. And so I love that. Mm -hmm. It means that the improving, ever-sanctifying me is also a little smarter today than he was yesterday. I like that. Well, and I don't... Critical thinking has never damaged my relationship with God. True. True. In fact, I would say that some very learned people have uh, an impossible... Uh, I should say they lack the ability to have a healthy relationship with God because they're very learned, but their critical thinking at least switches off when it comes to the things of God. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would argue that you're not a true scientist unless you're willing to consider God, too. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean a disrespect because, you know, there's such a reverence for science in our culture. And it's been around a long time, and it's affected a lot of things in our culture. Science and and uh, uh, philosophy and mm -hmm. social science, stuff like that, they have a lot of impact on our culture and everybody's way of life. And it, it has a lot to do with the laws that are written and the things that we consider politically correct and incorrect. Mm -hmm. All of that's there. And I think that the fundamental crime that leads to distortion is the lack of critical thinking. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's an awful lot of criticizing and judging out there that is based on nothing but hearsay. And hearsay meaning a little fragment of what someone told you that someone told them mm -hmm. that someone said. Yep. 
And then that's what we make decisions around instead of researching, studying, and making a critical thinking process lead our decision-making about life, the universe, and everything. Mm -hmm. And so, that being said, I think we'll call it a day for this conversation with Bethany. So thank you, Bethany. Uh, She's here living in the GHM studio home. For now, and uh, if you if you know where they needed the world's greatest school counselor at an elementary school in the southwest Indiana area, well, you give us a call because we'd <laughs> like to hear from you. Um, we're just so glad to have her here, though. But anyway, God bless you, everybody. Thanks, Bethany. See well, you next week. See you next week. <laughs>